If you have your Bible, if you'll go ahead and open it up with me to Ephesians chapter 6, we continue working through the book of Ephesians. We're going to be in verses 5 through 9 today. Let me ask you a question as I begin. How are things going at work right now? Scale of 1 to 10, how are things going at, at work right now? How, how, how would you grade things in your own mind? Negative 1, I hear over here. There's a proverb that says every morning a gazelle wakes up knowing that it must be able to outrun the fastest lion or it will be eaten. And every morning a lion wakes up knowing that it must outrun the slowest gazelle or it will starve. And the moral of it is, is that in America, when the sun comes up, you better be running. Rick Warren, the pastor out in California, has said that we are the most hyperactive society in the history of the world. And some of the results are that because of all this activity, we do accomplish a lot, yet at the same time, a lot of us struggle to find balance, a lot of us struggle to find happiness in all of our activity. So when I ask you how are things going at work, I want you to understand that by work, I'm not just referring to the segment of the congregation that works for an employer. There are a lot of different avenues through which we work. We have students in our church, and I look at our students, and I see them often working incredibly hard. I I look at these high school kids today. A lot of them, they will do their schoolwork. They'll come home. uh, They have a tremendous amount of homework. And then if they do band or football or choir or cheerleading, something of that nature, it's not uncommon for our high school kids to spend 70 hours a week just working on school. I see parents that are trying to raise these little kids in their homes, and it's a, it's a 24-7 job. I've got four of them, and we have a mantra around our house that it's always something. There's always some child that's hungry, some child that's sick. You know, There's always something going on, and so the work just never ends. And I don't know how many retirees I, I have talked to that say to me, I have so much work to do, I don't know how I ever kept a job before. I mean, I'm just so busy. There's so much stuff that needs to be done. Whether you are a CEO of a Fortune 500 company or whether you are the CEO of a family of five, all of us have work to do. Now, it might also surprise you to know that God wired us in such a way that we need work. He, he gave us work to do as part of our lives, and this activity, this work that we do, it's supposed to bring a certain amount of fulfillment, and it's also uh, an avenue that allows us to contribute to our family's well-being and to the well-being of our community. If you look at the Scriptures, God works. God worked in creation. He worked for salvation. God works in comforting His children. He works to meet your needs. Whenever He created the Garden of Eden and He created Adam and Eve, He gave them a job that they were to tend for the garden. But then there was a problem. Sin slithered into the world. And suddenly our work environment, our office environment, began to resemble the cast from the office. And our home environment went from happy days to the Simpsons. 
and our school environments went from Saved by the Bell to Friday Night Lights. There was a Washington Post article that was written not long ago that was examining results of how people feel about their jobs, and 13% of American workers are actively engaged in their work. They enjoy their job. They are stimulated by it. They feel as though they're making a good contribution. 63% said that they were not engaged in their work. They will do their work because they know that they need to pay the bills, but they really don't want to do anything beyond what they have to do. And 24% of Americans can't stand their work. And the result is is that they will do as little as possible when it comes to their job. I don't know about you, but it seems like everybody I always run into is part of that 24% that can't stand their, their work and does as little as possible to make sure that things are done. Well, our scripture today here in Ephesians chapter 6 and verses 5 through 9 is an unusual passage. It, it is a passage, as, as you know, I like to work through books, and part of working through books is that you come across passages that you don't often hear preached. You can't wimp out whenever you come to some of those passages when you're preaching through a book. And so I think you'll find that as we look at this passage that you will see that it contains a lot of wisdom on the subject of how to make work work. So look with me beginning in verse 5. The Bible says, Slaves, obey your human masters with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ. Don't work only while being watched in order to please men, but as slaves of Christ. Do God's will from your heart. Serve with a good attitude as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good each one does, slave or free, he will receive this back from the Lord. And masters, treat your slaves the same way without threatening them, because you know that both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Now, for you to wrap your mind around the passage it's important for you to have at least a basic understanding of slavery in the ancient world. You'll remember during the New Testament era, the Roman Empire was at its height. And when the Roman Empire was at its height, most of the world was in a form of slavery. Now, whenever Rome invaded your province and they conquered you, they would give you the appearance of freedom. They would not enslave everybody. They would often enslave the captives that were combatants in the war, but they would let the the local people remain free. However, your freedom was very limited. If you didn't pay your taxes, if you crossed Rome in some way, you would discover that you really weren't free at all. You were in a form of slavery. And so, in a sense, Jesus and the disciples were all living in a form of slavery. Now, within the society, you also had lifelong slaves. These were individuals that might be captives from a war. They were children that were born to slaves. They were criminals that had done something that was not worthy of death, yet they would be sentenced to lifelong slavery. And those lifelong slaves were considered property. They were sold. They were commodities. uh, they They were just property. You also had short-term slaves. 
frequently if you owed a debt. So think about your own life. Do you owe any money on your credit cards? Do you owe somebody money? Well, in that society, if you owed a debt, one of the ways that you could repay that debt was that you would work as a slave for a period of time until the debt was paid. So in the New Testament era, as many as one in two people were living in slavery. And in slavery, they had very limited rights. Now, you would find that it varied drastically from person to person as to how they were treated. Some of the slaves were treated like family. And so they were treated quite well, but they, they were still slaves. They were not free. And other slaves were treated like absolute animals. Now, I would just mention here as an aside that one of the greatest contributions of our nation to the history of the world has been our work to abolish slavery and champion freedom. That is one of the enduring qualities of the United States of America, that we have worked hard to abolish slavery and to be a champion of freedom throughout the world. But as we dive into the passage, I want to talk to you today about five things you can do to make work work. Five things you can do to make work work. So if you scored one or two on that scale of one to ten about how happy you are at work, you might get your pen out right now and start taking some notes here. Okay, number one, do your job. Do your job. The passage begins with, Obey your human masters with fear and trembling and sincerity in your heart as to Christ. I was talking with a young man not long ago who was struggling in his work. He was bemoaning the fact that his boss was really coming down on him. And so I began talking to him about his work ethic. I said, well, are you on time for work? He said, well, sometimes I try to be, but not always. I said, well, uh, are you prepared whenever you go to work? He said, well, kind of. I said, well, it's possible that the reason why your boss is coming down on you is because you need to do your job. He didn't like that answer too much, but nonetheless, I was trying to help him. Uh, We have to realize that we will always have human masters in this world. There will always be authority structures. There will always be boundaries in our lives. That is just part of living in this world. You will have authority. You will have boundaries that are over you that you have to live underneath. Whenever you are a little kid, you have your parents. In the passage that we looked at last week where it said, children, obey your parents, and that's an authority structure. Whenever you are a parent, you have these little kids, and often they are an authority structure for you, and will tell you what you're supposed to do and what you can't do. Uh, Whenever you are school age, you'll have teachers, and you have to do what the teacher says. Whenever you go out into the workforce, you have bosses. You say, well, I'm going to own my own company, and I'm going to become a wealthy person. Well, you'll probably have shareholders. You'll have customers that you have to answer to. There will always be authority structures in your life. Now, one of the beautiful things about our nation is that we have the power to vote. 
we have the power to speak up and freedom of the freedom of speech and we have the power to change some things within our society but there are some things that you will not change there will always be speed limits there will always be taxes there will always be police officers that will pull you over if they catch you exceeding the speed limit. There will always be HOAs in some form. There will always be a star test. It might go by some other name, but there will always be some type of test. There will always be doctor's orders. There will be laws, boundaries, and authority will always be there. And so one of the greatest lessons that we can learn about how to make work work is to, with sincerity in our heart, to go out and do your job, to work to the very best of your ability and have a good work ethic, honor God, and understand that authority structures and boundaries are part of life, and you have to live underneath those And you have to, with sincerity in your heart, do what God has called you to do. Now, there is a second thing, and that is that as you work, work for God. Think about in your mind, who is your ultimate supervisor? And your ultimate supervisor is the Heavenly Father. Verse 6 says, don't work only while being watched in order to please men, but as slaves of Christ... Do God's will from your heart. If you work to please men, and that is your driving motivation, you are never going to find satisfaction in your work. And here's the reason why. Because human beings are never fully satisfied. We have a sinful, fleshly nature, and part of that sinful nature is that we're never completely satisfied. For example, you go to your favorite restaurant today for lunch, and you eat a large meal. I mean, you, you go to Christina's, and you fill up on chicken fajitas, and you eat chips and salsa, and you even get the sopapillas afterwards. I mean, you walk out of there, and you're like, whoo, that was great. That was incredible. I am so full, I could not eat another bite. And for a moment there, you are totally satisfied. But then you go home, and after taking three or four Tums and waiting about six hours, guess what? You say, honey, I'm hungry. What's for dinner? And you're ready to eat again. You're never completely satisfied. Your satisfaction's only for a short time. And you see this all throughout the human experience, whether it's money. I I get to a certain income level, and then I want more, whether it's power, whether it's sex, whether it's travel, whether it's adventure, whether it's expression. Human beings are never fully satisfied. That's why one of the great calls of Jesus is satisfaction. He says things to us like, come to me and I will give you rest. He sits next to the lady, uh, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, and he invites her to drink of the living water. And whenever she drinks of that living water, she will never thirst again. 
because he knew that within her life, she was never going to be satisfied with the things that she was pursuing, that she was only going to truly find satisfaction when she realized her need for salvation and forgiveness that could be found in Christ. So Jesus says to our hunger, I am the bread of life. And whenever you repent of sin and believe in Christ, you have an identity. You have an identity in Christ. You are a joint heir of the Heavenly Father in Christ. You belong to God, not just for a day. You belong to God for all eternity. And your identity is not dependent upon your work. Did you catch that, men? Make sure I drill this home for you guys. I have the same struggle. Our identity is not found in our job. It's not found by our income. It's not found by our looks. It's not found by our position or our social status. In Christ, you are forgiven. In Christ, you are accepted. In Christ, you are loved unconditionally for all eternity. And so the Bible teaches me that in any job that I have, I am to work not for men but for God. Now, I do my job. I do what I'm supposed to do. But ultimately, I am working because I am, I'm working in my identity that is found in Christ. I'm working to please God. I'm, I'm working to be His child. I'm working to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ in my workplace. Now, there's a third thing that you can do to make work work, and that is to have a good attitude. Verse 7 says, serve with a good attitude as to the Lord, not to men. So, same principle we just talked about here. You're working as to the Lord, not to men. You say, well, everybody around my place has a lousy attitude. Okay, well, don't contribute to it. Okay, you're, you're working with a good attitude as to the Lord, and you're not just going to be reactive because everybody else in your place has a lousy attitude. You're going to work with a, with a good attitude. If you drive by Chick-fil-A here in Murphy, pretty well every day of the week except for Sunday. For some reason, no one's ever there on Sunday. But uh, if you drive by, you will find that often the drive through has cars wrapped around the building. I mean, it's, it's incredible. My wife will say, hey, can you stop by and get some chicken nuggets? First of all, I'm burned out on chicken nuggets from Chick-fil-A, but that's beside the point. But, uh, you know, I, I'm like, oh, no, I'm going to have to sit in the drive through forever because it's just wrapped around the building. Yet day after day, you'll see that reality take place. Why? Well, it's not because their food's that much better. It's not because they're cheaper than everybody else. It's not because they're healthier than everybody else. It's because of their customer service. It's because of their attitude, the way that they treat people, the way that they make people feel whenever they come into the restaurant. A few years back when Neil Brown opened up uh, the Chick-fil-A up in Allen, he asked me to come and do the opening prayer. And so I got to go to the grand opening and meet some of the people from corporate and see a little bit about how they operate. And so I was talking to one of the, the big wigs, and he was telling me, he said, you know, our, our purpose statement 
is to glorify God by being a faithful steward of all that is entrusted to us. And then he said to have a positive influence on all who come in contact with Chick-fil-A. And so this, this bigwig was telling me that in their company culture, they see the chicken sandwich as a vehicle that they use to glorify God and encourage people. Ultimately, that's what God has given them. That's how they make their money. There's nothing wrong with them making money. But ultimately, that chicken sandwich is a vehicle that they want to use in in order to try to impact the people that come to see them and glorify God in their stewardship and in the way in which they behave. It is amazing how much can change when our attitude changes. When we go from having a sour attitude to having a positive attitude. And it's amazing how much impact you can have on the people around you if you just have a positive attitude. You say, well, they'll think think I'm weird because everybody else around there has a lousy attitude. Well, be a little weird. It's okay. Have a positive attitude. Put a smile on your face and And look for opportunities wherever you are, whatever you're doing, to glorify God and be a positive influence on the people that you uh, come in contact with. Uh, I think we should see our work adventures as opportunities to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ wherever we go. Because there's people out there that are in need of ministry, and that can come in a lot of different forms. But as you encounter people, you have opportunities to minister to them. Fourth, remember that God rewards good work. Verse 5 says, Knowing that whatever good each one does, slave or free, he will receive this back from the Lord. So as you go to work and you pay attention to the details and you do what is asked of you and you bring with you a good attitude, and you maintain your integrity, and you work hard, that may or may not result in more money or opportunity. But one thing that always happens is that God sees you, and He repays you. God sees your positive attitude. God sees your work ethic. God sees how you seek to glorify Him even in adverse situations. And God blesses you. God rewards you in many different ways. I've never seen such poverty as I did whenever I drove into that colonia in Acuna, Mexico. It was about 10 years ago, and I was going there on a mission trip with the church that I was pastoring in Austin. And whenever we drove into that neighborhood, Literally, the people lived in cardboard homes. They would take shipping crates and they would, they would stack them up and they would staple cardboard to uh, the shipping crates and that would be their home. Whenever you walked down the street, they had trenches that they had dug and you would see the sewage there in the trenches. They literally had nothing. And as I got to know them, I realized that they worked long hours. Most of them worked in the automobile industry in some fashion. They would uh, build the parts that 
put together your air conditioners and things like that in your cars, and they would work uh, long, long hours, and they would be paid virtually nothing. That was their life. And as we came into that scene, our hearts broke because they were so poor and they had so little, but then we began to get to know them and realize how much they had. A week went past, and I found myself sitting in their street one night. We were enjoying a meal together. Our church and their church had just finished having a wonderful church service, and they wanted to put together a meal for us, and so the children were running up and down the street. They were playing soccer with the one soccer ball that they had. And I just sat there for a few moments, and I watched these people that literally had nothing interact with their families. And I saw something in them that I don't often see. I saw happiness, joy. Even though they didn't have anything financially, they were some of the most blessed people that I've ever met. And they had a deep love and they had a deep joy that permeated their family relationships. God may bless you with a promotion. God may bless you with more money. But He may also bless you in ways that can never be measured. But know this, that as you go forth, and you do what God has called you to do, and you do it faithfully, and you do it well, and you do it as unto the Lord, God sees it. And my scriptures tell me here, knowing that whatever good each one does, slave or free, he will receive this back from the Lord. Now there's a fifth thing. As you work, treat people well. Treat people well. Verse 9 shifts the focus. He says, Masters, treat your slaves the same way without threatening them because you know that both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. Now, it is very possible that in our country, if you follow the first four principles that we've talked about with making work work, before long you will find yourself advancing. Before long, you're very likely to find yourself someone's boss. Now, whenever you are working your way up the ladder, there is this illusion that's out there. The illusion is this. If they would just make me boss, I'd fix it all. Because I can see everything that's wrong, and I I know a lot of stuff, And if they would just promote me to the position of boss, then I would fix it. And then comes the reality. You are named the boss. And now you're responsible for everything that's broken. And most of what is broken is beyond repair. Because most of what is broken uh, involves personalities and involves things that have been festering for a long time period of time, and you really can't fix it. If you can fix it, it might take a long time, and it's going to require a cultural overhaul for you to fix the problem. But there is one thing that you can do as a supervisor, as a boss, 
as a teacher, whoever God has put you in charge of, even the little kids that you're trying to parent and and shepherd along the way. You can genuinely care about the people. Genuinely love the people that God has put under your supervision. You say, oh, Lash, you don't know the people God's put under my supervision. They are so unlovable. Well, just think about it this way. If you can love them, you can love anybody, okay? Care about them. By the way, hurting people, people that hurt others are usually hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. And so a lot of times those folks that you run into that are so angry and so, so mean, there's a lot of pain going on underneath the surface. And you can care about them and you can love them. You can look for those moments where they have a need and you can try to be there for them, to encourage them and help them. Uh, God wired us to work. You can overdo it with work to the point where you don't have any family relationships and you wear yourself out. But ultimately, God wired us not to just sit around on our blessed assurance and do nothing. And He gave us work to do as a part of our lives, and that work should bring us fulfillment, and that work also allows us to contribute to the well-being of our family. That work allows us to contribute to the well-being of our community. And in your work, there are great opportunities if you will look for them to glorify God, to contribute to your family and community, to impact other people in a positive way. And so I want to encourage you to try these five things that we see from Scripture today. Do your job well. Work for God. Let Him be your ultimate supervisor. Have a good attitude. Know that God rewards good work. And treat other people well. And I think you will be amazed at how much better work can work if you simply employ these biblical principles in the work that you're called to do. Would you be so kind as to stand with me, please, as we come to a time of commitment? If there's anything that I may pray with you about today, it's always my honor to do so. Perhaps in your life, God has been at work. And the job that God has been doing in your life is He has been drawing you to Him. And you find yourself at that point where you are ready to call on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I would invite you this morning, if you're at that point, to come and see me. I'll be here at the front during this next song. You can come and see me then. I'll be here after the service as well. I would love to pray with you and encourage you, be a pastor to you, and help you to take that step of faith where you trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for those areas of life where you have given us opportunity to make a contribution. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to provide for the needs of our family. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to make a difference in the world in which we live. And we do pray that you might allow us to see our work through your lens. Help us, Lord, to work hard, to work with a positive attitude. 
Help us, Lord, to work for you. And as we do, Father, may we treat other people well. May we as Christians be examples of of you. Lord, may we find our identity in you. May we find our rest in you. May we realize that it is in you that we find the living water that truly satisfies. And it's because we have that that we are free to live in a different way than other people. So help us, Lord, to be different. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.